Welcome to episode 3 of Jerome's Gibberish, Sunday, December 22nd, 2019. Let's get right to it. Beef jerky. Love it? Hate it? Indifferent? Let me change your mind. With Boston Jerky Company. Co-founded by a very good friend of mine from high school. This stuff's the real deal. It's made with 100% grass-fed beef. Two flavors. Wicked Original, Wicked Hot. You want spicy? They got spicy. You want not spicy? They got nice spicy. They're both fantastic. I vouch for them both. You can get them on Amazon or you can go to www.bostonjerky.com. Try it out for yourself. You will not be disappointed. Trust me. If you're on the fence about beef jerky or if you're on the lookout for a good beef jerky, look no further than Boston Jerky Company. Matter of fact, I'm eating some right now as I'm making this podcast because it's delicious and I like delicious things. You know what isn't delicious? Shopping during the holidays. Mainly because, well, I hate shopping during the holidays. I like online shopping during the holidays. Amazon. Amazon Prime. Two-day delivery. Anywhere in the world. Well, maybe not anywhere in the world, but everywhere I send that stuff. Two-day delivery. It's fantastic. But when I have to go shopping for, you know, food during the holiday season, like right now, I thought everybody would be in the Kohl's or Macy's, JCPenney, but they're just as packed in the food stores when I'm trying to get my two or three items so I can do my meal prep for the week. And what turns into a, what should be a 5, 10, maybe 15 minute trip turns into double that because people don't know what they're doing. The one spot of the aisle, I'm trying to get my frozen vegetables. Someone's standing right there talking on the phone to somebody else. Or their carriage is in front, and they're down at the other end of the aisle talking to somebody. I just, it doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much these days to to get under my skin with these inept people left and right. And I'm just trying to get into the store, get my stuff, and get out. And I can't do it because these people, they just... They come from out of the woodwork during the holidays. Normally, if you went midday on a Sunday, it it might be a little busier than a regular day of the week when everybody's at work, but this is is ridiculous. It makes me not want to leave. I was considering starving today instead of going out and getting food because I don't want to deal with these people. But I braved it, I made it, and now I'm back here making this podcast. But you know what else I can't stand to coincide with holiday shopping? The method of transportation people are using to get there. Namely, people that don't know how to drive a vehicle. You might be asking yourself, but Jerome, everybody knows how to drive a vehicle. Or at least most people do. Sure. At the rudimentary rudimentary, at the rudimentary level, sure. Most uh, human beings can sit in a vehicle turn on the ignition, you know, and put it in drive. But after that, all bets are off. I'm talking about the most basic things you learned well before you got into a car. At least I did. Like, I don't know how to turn properly or stop, use signals when appropriate, put your headlights on when it's raining. Not because you're trying to see any better, but so other cars can see you. There's a lot of human beings that are supposed to be older and wiser than myself that can't grasp that concept. These are the people I'm stuck behind when I'm trying to get 
to and from my destinations in life with as little stress as possible. I try to be calm about it. I try to be level-headed, but there's only so much someone can take. Speed limit says 35, and you're going 15. That's a problem. And it's a double line, too, so it's frowned upon if I pass you. But guess what I'm going to do if nobody's around? I'm going to pass you. If you want to go 15 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, go for it. But do it behind me, not in front of me. Unlike you, I have somewhere to be, and I'm going to get there going faster than 15 miles an hour. People don't understand what it means when you can take a right on red. Which literally means if you're at a red light and there's no sign that says no right on red and it's clear, you can take a right. So we don't have to wait. So I'll be behind somebody and it's beyond clear. I'm waiting for them to take a right on red and they don't take said right on red. Why? Because it's a red light and they freeze and they looking at me in their rear view like why are you honking at me the light's red I'm like I know the light's red you can still turn and get out of my life but what are you going to do I guess things like right of way and how to properly pass and basic common knowledge just isn't common for most people apparently when it comes to all facets of life including traffic it, it just makes me bummed out just thinking about it. As I was talking about it, I put myself back in my vehicle as I'm stuck behind the person going 15 and a 35. How do you justify going 15 and a 35? Like, if your car's about to break down, throw on the hazards, if you know where those are, pull over to the shoulder. Why are you still going 15 miles an hour in front of me? Why am I letting myself getting worked up over this? I don't know. Let's move on. Let's move on. As I said, or now I can't even remember if I said it at the beginning of the podcast, it is Sunday, December 22nd, and that means that Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker is out in theaters, and yes, I saw it. I saw it yesterday morning, and all I'm going to say is this. Wow. Okay? If you're a fan of Star Wars, then you already got your ticket. Or you're about to get your ticket. Maybe you've already seen it by the time you're listening to this. Maybe you're going to see it within the next week. But I'm just glad that this entire saga, this entire series, which was George Lucas's vision and started all the way back in 1977. That's when episode four, which is the first episode in the series, came out. 1977. We're talking eight years before I was even born. So to see this whole body of work, this whole culmination, 42 years later, all come in full circle, nine episodes, this whole Skywalker saga slash story arc, whatever you want to call it, has now officially come full circle. It's just, I'm still overwhelmed that this is it. That's the last one, at least for this whole chapter, if that's what you want to call it, one big one big chapter. You had 1977, 1980, 1983. You got episodes 4, 5, and 6, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Then you take a hiatus. Then in the early 2000s, you get episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. 
Then you get another break, and then we've got this last trilogy, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, which a lot of people were not very pleased with. I liked the movie for what it was, but I can still see why people were upset. And this latest movie, The Rise of Skywalker, which I would recommend for anybody who's a Star Wars fan, anybody who wants to see how this all comes to an end. I'm not going to give anything away. I'll save that discussion for a few weeks from now when most people have seen it. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. Just get out there and watch that movie. I very much enjoyed it from start to finish. It's always a great movie. We can get lost in something, and I got lost in it. From start to finish, I was lost in that story. And then when it came to an end, I didn't want it to end, but it was over. And hopefully the next installment in the Star Wars saga will live up to the precedent that this whole Skywalker story arc has set because they have set the bar very, very high. And I, for one, can't wait to see what's coming next. As far as Star Wars is concerned, to try to get my fix, there's still the Mandalorian series, which I've already praised on Disney+. Plus. It is a fantastic series. Fantastic. In fact, I would say wholeheartedly that the seven episodes of The Mandalorian that have come out so far, in my eyes, are more impressive than the entire last movie in this saga Episode 8, The Last Jedi. That's just from my point of view. As far as storytelling, and if you put all those episodes back to back, it would be just as long, if not longer, than The Last Jedi, and I think a more compelling story. And yes, it does include Baby Yoda, which, segue, there seems to be a a, a debate going on that I was unaware of until somebody informed me, pitting Baby Groot from the Guardians of the Galaxy series up against Baby Yoda from The Mandalorian, When it comes to who's cuter, who's all this or that, let me let everybody know where I stand right now so there is no confusion. And I saw this quote on Twitter, so I can't take credit for it, but I will say it right now. I would use Baby Groot as firewood, if necessary, to keep Baby Yoda warm. In other words, I'm on Team Baby Yoda, and it's not even close. I think Baby Yoda is cuter. I think Baby Yoda is more efficient. I think Baby Yoda is better. And anybody in their right mind is going to think the same thing. Because it's Baby Yoda. Now, okay, if we're getting technical, it's not actually Yoda as a baby. It is a member of Yoda's still unnamed species as an infant. Hence the nickname Baby Yoda since this... Youngling doesn't have a name of its own yet. So everybody has dubbed it Baby Yoda. The memes for Baby Yoda are taking over everywhere. People that I know for a fact have never seen Star Wars in their life are using these Baby Yoda memes memes, and pretty much killing them at this point. They're just looking at the cute little green thing and like, oh, look at that. It's so cute. Slapping it on a meme and it's spreading like wildfire. I'm not seeing that for Groot anymore. You know why? Because Baby Yoda is better than Baby Groot. I'm not saying Baby Groot's not cute. I'm not saying Baby Groot's not efficient. I'm just saying he's less cute and less efficient than Baby Yoda. These are facts. What do you want me to do? 
I could lie and say Baby Groot's better than Baby Yoda, but that would be a lie. And everybody would know it's a lie. Because deep down, you search in your heart, you find one answer. That answer is Baby Yoda. So I am on Team Baby Yoda. And hopefully, if you weren't already on Team Baby Yoda, you are now on Team Baby Yoda. Because that's the team everybody should be on. That's the winning team. Okay, enough of Baby Yoda talk. Baby Yoda beats Baby Groot. That's the last thing I'm going to say about it for now. Moving on. I'm going to add a segment to this podcast where I give a movie recommendation. And when I give this movie recommendation, it's going to be from a movie that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of. Maybe a movie that never showed up on your radar back when it came out. So, for this week's movie recommendation, I'm going to recommend a movie from, I believe, I think it was 1994. 93-94. It has Macaulay Culkin in it. And no, it's not Home Alone. It's also not The Good Son, which is a movie with a young Macaulay Culkin and a young Elijah Wood, where Macaulay Culkin is pretty much a young sociopath. No, this movie is called Getting Even with Dad. Movie, I believe, like I'm saying, is 1994, so we're talking after Home Alone, maybe right before Richie Rich, or maybe Richie Rich was even filmed in the same year, but it stars Macaulay Culkin. Ted Danson from Cheers, um, and two other supporting actors whose names escape me, but I can see their faces. Basic premise is this. Kevin McAllister's character in the movie um, is Ted Danson's son. Parents got divorced. Dad, Ted Danson goes to jail for, I think, being a petty thief. So he lives with his mother. His mother passes away. So then he moves in with his aunt. His aunt uh, basically wants to dump him off with his dad, saying, I've already watched him for three years, now you watch him. So the dad, reluctantly, has to watch his own son now. Little does the son know that his dad's trying to plan another heist, one final heist. Hey, if we do this right, I don't have to do this anymore. We'll be free and clear. But of course, Macaulay Culkin throws a wrench into all those plans, finds out about the planned heist, and basically blackmails Ted Danson into being an actual good dad for a week because he stole these rare coins from his dad, and his dad had just stolen them. So McCullough Cole was like, hey, you want these coins? You want this big payday? you got to be a good dad for a week. If you do a good enough job, I'll tell you where the coins are. So the whole movie is based around Ted Danson having to take him to the park or take him to the aquarium but of course a bunch of wrenches get thrown into the plans and it's a almost like a home alone-esque version with his two cronies that are almost like the harry and marv of this movie and they play very well off each other and it's a very underrated movie it's got lots of action lots of laughs and it's probably one of the last movies macaulay culkin did before he pretty much went off the grid for like eight or nine years so getting even with dad is my movie recommendation of the week. I don't even know where you can find it, to be honest. I haven't looked on Netflix. I don't think it's there. Amazon Prime, probably not. So if you ever come across this somewhere, like a tag sale, and it's for like three bucks, pick it up. Give it a shot. It's not that bad. That's basically what I'm telling you. It's not that bad. So take that for whatever you will. Moving on to another subject near and dear to my heart. 
fantasy football. Namely, I'm going to announce right here. This is the first place I'm making the announcement that I am done with fantasy football after this year. I've been playing fantasy football since, jeez, 2008, 2009. I can't remember. At one point, I was in like five separate leagues. This year, I was in three leagues. And it's just, I'm going to be candid with all of you. I don't even watch football. Like, I know enough about football to get by in fantasy when it comes to who to pick and who's going to put up stats or who at least who I'm thinking is going to put up stats. Like, I won the championship in one of my leagues back-to-back years. And in those two years, I probably watched, not including the Super Bowl, a combined one game between those two years. Like, the Super Bowl is the only football game that you'll see me watching from start to finish. And let's face it, I'm one of those people that watches the Super Bowl more for the commercials than the actual game. It's not that I don't like football or that I don't care for it. It's just that, I don't know, especially since I'm, when I'm playing fantasy, I feel like I have a vested interest in any game that one of my players is playing in. And I'm also a little bit superstitious when it comes to that. So I don't want to watch the game that the person I'm have on my team is playing in because I don't want to see them underperform, if that makes any sense. I feel like if I'm watching Tom Brady, for example, and he's on my fantasy team, that he's going to do worse than if I didn't watch him. Totally irrational, I know, but I'm superstitious like that. So when it, the weekend comes, I don't want to see anything my fantasy team has done until I know all the games are done and over with, nothing can be changed. And then I look to see whether I've won or lost. It's nerve-wracking. And I don't want to deal with it anymore. So this year, after some heartbreaking playoff losses in all three of my leagues, it's like, you know what? I I can't do this anymore. It's not fun for me anymore. I don't get any more enjoyment. And I don't want to do it anymore. So I've been saying this for years that I was going to be done with fantasy football and that I was going to walk away. And every year I would come back. But this year, I'm saying it right here, and I mean it for real. I am done with fantasy football in all any way, shape, or form. So from here on out, whenever I do decide to sit down and watch a football game, I will have no vested interest. I will just be watching the football game for what it is, a game of football. I don't have any fantasy implications on the line, no championships, no nothing. Free and clear, I'm cutting all ties with fantasy football. To everybody out there who still plays fantasy football, have at it. Go for it. We're not here to judge. I'm not here judging anybody. I'm not looking down on anybody who plays fantasy football. I'm just saying I can't do it anymore. It's too nerve-wracking. The risk is not worth the reward because I can't even enjoy football if I wanted to on the weekend. Because of that whole superstition thing I already talked about. So fantasy football, I just, I'm sorry. I can't do it anymore. So after this week is over, because I'm in one more fantasy playoff game as we speak for, I think, third place in one of my leagues. When this is over, I'm done. I'm done with fantasy football forever. Or at least for the foreseeable future. I don't know what it would take for me to come back. Maybe I have to take a year off or two years. I don't know. I've been playing for the last 11, so I don't know what it's like. Maybe what I'm saying is I need a break, but as of right now, I'm done.
or as of tomorrow after 8.15 p.m., I'm done. Let's put it that way. So fantasy football, it's been a good ride, but all good things have to come to an end, and things that are this nerve-wracking, I can't deal with anymore, so I'm done. <sighs> it feels good to get it off my chest. It's very cathartic, in a way. I've been waiting to make that announcement for a couple of weeks now. I've known I've been done probably four weeks into this season, but I just saved face and gutted it out like I have every other year, but I'm like, nah, I'm not feeling it this year. I got to get out of this. This isn't fun anymore. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy setting my lineup and then tinkering with it, and then I make a last-minute substitution, and the person I put on my bench goes off, and I had them in and changed them at the last second, and then you end up losing because the person that was on your bench did better than the person you put in. Those are the losses that keep me up at night. Those are the losses I can't deal with, and I can't just, I can't deal with it anymore. It's like I said, I, I'm I'm beating a dead horse here, but I am officially done with fantasy football, and it is a good feeling to know that I will have that weight off of my back for the foreseeable future. That's pretty much all I have to say about fantasy football. I did fantasy basketball a couple of years back, but once again, that's even more tedious than fantasy football. At least with fantasy football, it's pretty much once a week, set it and forget it. With fantasy basketball, there's games every day. So I'd have to change lineups every single day, and if somebody got injured, then I'd have to go back and rechange it for the whole week, and it was just way too tedious, way too much work. So as much as I love basketball, I can't do fantasy basketball either. I did fantasy hockey one year. Found out I knew next to nothing about hockey when I thought I knew everything about hockey. Couldn't do that anymore. Fantasy baseball, same thing. I think fantasy sports as a whole started with baseball because that is a stat-driven sport with on-base percentage or amount of strikeouts and all these fractional point values that you get in baseball. That is tailor-made for fantasy. So I'd be hard-pressed to believe that fantasy sports started specifically with fantasy baseball because it is tailor-made for fantasy sports. But me, personally, I just can't do fantasy sports anymore. Not right now. I'll get back into it maybe at some point. But for now, I just need a break. I just want to go back to being a fan with no vested interest other than being a fan of the sport. That's another thing when it comes to being a fan of a sport. A lot of people look at me sideways when they ask me, oh, who's your, who's your team for either basketball or baseball or hockey or football? And I tell them, I don't have a team. I just either have a couple of favorite players or just I'm a fan of the sport. And they look at me sideways like I'm lying to them or they can't believe it. What do you mean? How come you don't have a favorite team? I'm like, because I just I like the game. I like watching basketball. If it's the Milwaukee Bucks versus the LA Lakers like it was a couple of days ago, I get to see LeBron James and Anthony Davis against Giannis Antetokounmpo. Three of the best players in the NBA right now going at it. I, I didn't have a vested interest. Like I wasn't rooting for the Bucks any more than I was rooting for the Lakers. I just wanted it to be a good game. And it ended up being a good game. I think the final score was like 111-104. What more could you ask for? As a paying fan, even if you're, say, a Patriots fan, Right, and you're going to a Pats game, and you guys are playing the who they just play like the Buffalo Bills. Sure, you want your team to win, but don't you still want it to be a good game? Like, if you're getting a blowout after the first quarter, 
and the Pats go up like 27 nothing. It's it, it, I wouldn't enjoy that anymore. Even as a Pats fan, it's like, okay, now the win's already locked in. Do I even need to stay for the other three quarters? Just to see them, like, mercy rule these guys? Like, I still want a good game. Even if I was rooting for a team, I would still want a good game between them and the other team. I don't want a blowout. I don't want a game where the fans are heading for the exits before halftime because they already think it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, the most exciting two minutes in a basketball game is usually the last two minutes of the fourth quarter of a tight game because anything can happen. Like, the buzzer beater in basketball, for me, for me, is the most exciting game-winning opportunity in any sport. You know what I mean? You've got, say you've got Big Poppy up at the plate, bases loaded, down by three, you know, and he hits a walk-off grand slam. That's good. That's fantastic, okay? Hockey is different because you actually need to beat the buzzer in hockey, meaning, like, if you took a shot and time expired before the puck went in the net, it wouldn't count because the Puck is legit considered dead in hockey once that buzzer goes off. And then football, like you can hold the ball as long as the play's live past time being up. As long as the play is live, the the play can still keep going. So you get those plays where there's a Hail Mary pass and there's a touchdown or 18,000 laterals and they end up running it in. That's all well and good too. But in basketball, the buzzer beater, that's that's my favorite game-winning shot or moment opportunity so many memorable buzzer beaters over the years like Michael Jordan's they call it the shot over Craig Elo in 1987 is that's that's the kind of moment I live for as a sports fan it's that buzzer beater where you know who's going to have the ball you know probably where they're going to shoot it from and you know like Larry Bird would say multiple times I'm going to get the ball here I'm going to go right here I'm going to shoot it and it's going to go in. He would tell that to his defender. And then the play would unfold just like Larry said it. The defender knew where he was going, still couldn't block the shot, and Larry would make it and just walk off. Like, that's the uh, the buzzer beater in the NBA. There have been so many unbelievable buzzer beaters, full-court buzzer beaters, like uh, Rasheed Wallace when he was on the Detroit Pistons against the, um, what was it that year? I think it might have been the Pacers. That was their whole season in that one half-court shot with no time left on the clock, and he banked it in, and they ended up going to overtime and winning in overtime, and they won the NBA championship that year. Had he not made that three-quarters of a court buzzer beater, NBA history would have changed. Damian Lillard, just last year, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Portland Trailblazers are up 3-1, first to win four games, wins the series. They're tied at, I think... 115, he's got the ball, like five seconds left. So that's the perfect scenario, too, for a buzzer beater in the NBA. Tie game, so if you miss, you're going to overtime. If you make it, you win. You know what I mean? So you really have nothing to lose as the person with the ball in a tie game. You can either win it right then and there, or at worst-case scenario, you're going to go to overtime where you still have a chance to win. Damian Lillard, just sitting there, dribbling the ball. He took a step back. So, like, maybe three, four, five feet behind the three-point line, right in Paul George's face. Hits it, walks off. That was Paul George's last game as a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder as he would leave to go to the L.A. Clippers this year after that shot. 
Like those are the those are the favorite shots I have are all the NBA buzzer beaters because the ball can go up in the air as long as it leaves your hands before the buzzer goes off. As long as it's in the air, it's still a live shot. And that for me is the most that's what gets me the most excited. That's what I look forward to the most out of all of the major sports is an NBA buzzer beater to win the game. So, sure, there's plenty of, like I've said, I'm not trying to be disparaging when it comes to last-minute goals in hockey or Hail Mary plays in football or walk-off home runs in baseball. Those are all well and good. But for me, basketball is my favorite sport. So, obviously, I'm going to be partial to basketball. And when it comes to the buzzer beater, that's, that's my bread and butter. I've seen so many great buzzer beaters over the years. Kevin Durant beating the uh, Dallas Mavericks when he was still on the Thunder. Or Andre Iguodala beating the Oklahoma City Thunder when he was on the Warriors. Or Steph Curry beating the Orlando Magic. Like, it's... I have favorite players in sports as opposed to favorite teams. So, I guess in a way, I kind of favor the teams that some of my favorite players are on instead of just being a fan of this team no matter what. So, like, Steph Curry is my favorite player in the NBA, so I'm partial to the Warriors. But before that, it was Tracy McGrady. So wherever Tracy McGrady went, that's who I liked by default. If I had to say a team, oh, who's your team? Orlando Magic, because Tracy McGrady's there. And then he went to the Houston Rockets, so I'd say, okay, Houston Rockets, Tracy McGrady's there. So, yeah. For baseball, I like I legit can't say that I have a team because I don't really watch baseball anymore. For the longest time, when I only had like 16 channels as a kid growing up for a little bit, all we got were the New York Mets on the WB network. So by default, I like the New York Mets. And we're talking like late 90s, early 2000s. John Olerud, Al Leiter, uh, Benny Agbayani, Edgar Alfonso. I still remember these people. Robin Ventura. Those are the New York Mets I liked by default because I couldn't watch anybody else. But but now, if you ask me who my favorite baseball team is, I legit don't have one. Hockey, the same thing. I used to love the Colorado Avalanche for the sole reason of when I played hockey in street hockey for two years when I was like 13 and 14. The team I was on was the Avalanche. I'm like, oh, this is my hockey team, so I want to like the hockey team in the NHL called the Avalanche. So I latched on to Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg and rolled the avalanche wave. And they won two Stanley Cups when I was watching, 1996 and 2001. They also gave Ray Bork the Stanley Cup that the Boston Bruins couldn't give him. <laughs> uh, okay, it's a low blow, but I mean, it's true. Ray Bork, one of the best hockey players ever. One of the greatest, if not the greatest Boston Bruin ever, right up there with Bobby Orr. But he never won a Stanley Cup in Boston. He got a Stanley Cup in 2001, his last season with the Colorado Avalanche. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Not trying to cause any trouble. I'm just saying. Number 77, Ray Bork. Got his only Stanley Cup in Colorado. And now I'm just realizing I am over my 30-minute mark that I like to set for myself. I've been ranting and raving about uh, fantasy football and favorite teams and buzzer beaters. And I've pretty much been all over the place in this podcast, which is why it's called Jerome's Gibberish. And I said... I can be talking about pretty much anything on this thing. So if you've been listening this entire time, thank you very much. I'll try to make it a little more structured in the next episode, but no guarantees. I also have a couple of special guests planned 
for future podcasts. I don't want to say who just yet because I still need to lock them down, but talks are in the works for some co-podcasts, if you will, some Q&As. we got some good stuff coming down the pipe, but anybody who's been listening to this, I hope you continue listening to this. I hope you've been entertained for this last 32 minutes or so, and be sure to check out my blog as well, jeromesgibberish.blogspot.com. I usually like to do these in tandem with each other. And at the bottom of my blogs, now that I've started my podcast, I'll do a link to this podcast at the bottom of my blogs. So they go hand in hand with each other. So hopefully you've enjoyed this. I've sure enjoyed making it. And we will see you all next week. You all have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. And we will see you next week. Have a good one.